Welcome to Naomi's Table, a Bible study podcast for women. I'm your host, Amy Spreeman. Check out all the Bible studies at Naomi'sTable.com. Now here's teacher Beth Seifert with today's lesson in 2 Corinthians. So pull up a chair, open your Bibles, and let's begin. Welcome back to our study in the book of 2 Corinthians, ladies. Today we'll be in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 15. And I've titled this lesson, Day 13, Giving to God's Glory. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, starting in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, to us." Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Well, Paul has just encouraged these believers, explaining to them how proud he is of their repentance and godly sorrow, and also reminding them again how much he loves them. He could have continued to heap condemnation on them to remind them of their sins and to make sure that they knew how awful they were. But he trusts that the report he was brought by Titus was true and that these people are truly grieved and repentant. Now Paul goes on to encourage them by telling them about the struggles of other believers. It may not seem particularly encouraging to hear about the suffering and persecution of other believers, but on the contrary, when you hear about the strength that God has given his people, in different and possibly harder circumstances than yours? It is encouraging. It is strengthening to hear of the faithfulness of others and to be reminded to hold fast, to see that God really does give the grace and strength we need for for each day, and to know that you, too, can hold fast to Him. Also, it gives us perspective on what we are being called to deal with. I mean, 
when you get unfriended on Facebook for sharing the gospel, it feels awful. But when you see that the Chinese church is being tracked down and imprisoned for their faith, it's a lot easier to take your eyes off yourself. So Paul shares about these believers in Macedonia who were in a severe test of affliction. We aren't specifically told here what that affliction was, but we can make some inferences based on what was going on in the Macedonian region at the time. The rule of the Romans was oppressive, to say the least. The word used for poverty here is actually the word indicating the most severe type of poverty that caused one to become a beggar. These people were destitute, thanks to years of wars and Roman authorities plundering them. The area referred to as Macedonia was in what is to present-day Bulgaria, Greece, Albania, and Serbia. Greece was roughly included in the Macedonian area, but the Macedonian area was mostly north and east of that. So if you can picture that in your head, Macedonia is a landmass that is separated from Italy by the Adriatic Sea. Rome was on the western coast of Italy, and from that side of Italy you could grab a boat and head out for Greece, Turkey, and the Middle East. To get from Rome to the continent of Asia further east of Turkey was pretty much always going to involve Macedonia. So Macedonia was the site of many wars, many battles, and much changing of hands, and that took its toll on the peoples who lived there. Yet there is a group of believers who live in Macedonia who, in their abject poverty, gave generously and joyfully to share with others who were suffering from the drought. Paul shares the example of these generous believers who, even in their own extreme need and suffering, set forth to provide for what other believers needed, caring for the body in a precious, self-sacrificial manner. They gave from their means and above their means. These Macedonian believers, grateful to God for the salvation they had, and desirous of helping God's people out of their gratitude, begged for the privilege of helping in this way. Think about that for a moment. How often do we, in our wealth, beg to help? So often we don't want to get involved. We don't want to get entangled. We want to give a tiny bit of money and then congratulate ourselves on our amazing generosity. But we aren't really being generous. We are often looking only to assuage our consciences, not to actually give sacrificially. These people gave in a seriously sacrificial way, and Paul holds them up as an example of what Christian concern for our brothers and sisters should look like, as God has worked in their lives to give them the desire to give in this way. These Macedonians first, we see in verse 5, committed themselves to God, to doing what He wanted and helping where He showed them the need. This wasn't an impulsive decision. They first sought God, and then they sought Paul to give, the, give this way. They had carefully considered, sought God, and then acted. It didn't get hung up in committee, but neither was it rash or inappropriately done. And Paul describes this act of giving on their part as an act of grace. He encourages the believers in Corinth then to give generously so that they too can participate in this act of grace. Paul isn't trying to guilt these believers into sharing their money. This is the same collection that Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians, urging the people at that point to be sure not to neglect what they had promised and to set the money aside early so that they wouldn't become stingy or resentful of giving the money to those in need. Paul isn't commanding these believers to give either. He is encouraging them to use this opportunity that they've already pledged to do as a means of demonstrating in a real and tangible way their service to Christ 
and their unity and compassion with their brothers and sisters in another place. Paul then reminds the believers and us that this is actually an example set by Christ. He who was rich, enthroned in heaven above, set it aside, and became poor for the sake of those he came to save. By becoming poor, we become rich. We receive an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, because of the sacrificial giving of Christ in his life and death. Paul seems to sort of transition here, but he's really not. He says, I give my judgment, but please, every time you see that in Scripture, do not think that this is any less authoritative than any other thing that Paul wrote. It's not. Paul wrote all of this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As he gives his judgment here, he's not saying, this is my judgment, not that of the Holy Spirit, but is more saying, in the authority I have, I set forth this principle as well. So what's the principle that he sets forth? The Corinthian believers, as they gave in this manner, they also benefit from their giving. First of all, they had decided to give, and they need to follow through with what they had promised to do. They need to let their yes be yes and their no be no, and honor the commitment they made. They need to finish in a way that isn't half-hearted or resentful as well. Even though it may not be as exciting as it was when they started collecting this money, they should persevere to finish what they said they would do. Again, it's really important to emphasize that Paul isn't asking them to do something against their will. They had desired to contribute to this collection. They had been working on collecting what they wanted to contribute. And Paul isn't placing an unbearable load on this, these people. He doesn't expect them to go broke to accomplish this. He didn't come to them with a set amount and demand that they hand it over. In the abundance of these believers, they have the ability to bless others and in return to be blessed by sacrificing their material wealth for God's people. The Corinthians have been blessed tremendously and it is important for them to use what God has given them to share with others. If the situation were reversed, Paul would expect other churches to also share to help the Corinthian people. This isn't a just because of who you are kind of thing. This is a all of this belongs to God anyway and his people have needs that you can help meet. Again, this is not socialism. This is not forcing others to give what they do not want to give or to give against their consciences for the benefits of those who have been deemed to be in need. This is voluntary and this is compassionate sharing with God's people. Not given out of compulsion or force, but out of desire. Verse 14 is not really addressing equal distribution of property, but rather equal distribution of burden. It's a call for equity, not strict equality. It isn't saying everyone should have exactly the same things and the exact same amount of money, but in your abundance, you too should give sacrificially as the Macedonians did. There is not a specific number or percentage associated with this. Every family has a budget and different restrictions on that budget. We need to be careful not to assume that the doctor is in a far better financial place than the teacher. You don't know whether that teacher had a full ride to college and that doctor had to take out student loans, and so their current financial situations might not actually be the reverse of what we might expect. Let God do the convicting. Trust that he will, and trust that he will provide for his people through his means. And that includes the means of the body of Christ. Everything that the Corinthian people had was from God. Everything the Macedonian peoples had was from God. God provided it all. 
He also molded their hearts to be willing to share with others. All of that is from God, both the tangible resources and the intangible desire to help others. Paul did have the authority from God to command them to give. He planted this church. He was a minister of the gospel, a true apostle of Christ. He did have authority over them to teach and rebuke them. But Paul doesn't use his authority this way. This should be done voluntarily, and so he asks. He doesn't demand. He doesn't question their motivation. These people do want good things to happen to fellow believers, but good intentions or positive thoughts don't actually do anything except make the one thinking those good thoughts feel like they've accomplished something, but they haven't. No, our good intentions should be accompanied by actions. Otherwise, they're just hypocritical words. I want to pause and go back and look at verse 12 quickly because I was not taught this correctly. Verse 12 says, If the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. We shouldn't be going into debt to help another person, and we shouldn't be crippling our own family to help another. That doesn't mean we shouldn't give sacrificially. If we have to give up going out to eat for a couple of months to save money to help someone in the body who's in need, do it. But I was taught that we were to give irresponsibly. That if someone asked you for money or told you of a need they had, even if you couldn't pay your own bills, you should pay their bills. Ladies, that's a dangerous place to be. God has given each of us responsibilities that we are to steward carefully. I was taught that even though we didn't have the money for the groceries for the next two weeks, that God would provide for us. And so we were to give away the money we should have used for groceries to pay someone else's electricity bill. Ladies, using God will provide in that way is making God responsible for our poor decisions. That's a manner of testing God in a sinful way. That doesn't negate God's goodness and provision, but we demonstrate our own faithfulness by stewarding what we have and providing for our primary responsibilities in such a way that we do have extra that we can share. And if we have promised to share, we need to follow through with that. If we have agreed to give to someone or something, we should do what we can to follow through. We need to be careful not to promise more than we can actually afford out of prideful reasons or out of a compulsion so that we don't end up breaking our promise because of our own lack of oversight. Verse 15 references the manna in the wilderness that fed the Israelites as they wandered around for 40 years. God provided exactly what was needed. The family of four got enough to feed the family of four. The family of ten got enough to feed the family of ten. It wasn't the same amount, but it was sufficient for their family's needs. So there are several principles we should see here. We see that God's people are to share with God's people. We should desire to help where we are able, and we should seek God's will in helping as we can. We also see that God's people are not to give under compulsion, manipulation, or intimidation. God loves a cheerful giver. He is the one who changes hearts, who gives us the desire to serve and help, and give as he enables us to do so. He is the source of all we have anyway. We should be more than willing to give back to him for use in his body, that which we've been entrusted with. We also see that there is wisdom in giving that must be applied. 
This is not a give away all your stuff and then expect God to just give you more stuff. In fact, we see in 1 Thessalonians that those who do not work are not to be eating. If you are able to work and you are refusing to work, you're sinning, period. Work, remember, was not part of the curse. Work was given to Adam in the Garden of Eden. Work is a gift. The hardness and trials of work came after the fall, but work itself is a gift from God. So, work. And with what you earn, because God has enabled you to work, give to God's people, and do so with a heart that wants to honor God, not a heart that desires to get the glory for itself. Ladies, do we view giving as an obligation or as a privilege? These Macedonian believers, out of their poverty, gave us an example. They gave until it hurt. But we're so stingy and miserly with what has been given to us that we hold tightly on to it and we protest when we're asked to give. If you're giving out of compulsion, you need to talk to God about that. Ask Him to help you to give, not because you have to, but because you want to. Ask Him to help you to see all that you have as it truly is, a gift from Him. Ask Him to help you to be generous in giving to those around you. I'll admit this is a very hard one for me. I've learned so much from my husband about giving to those who are in need. His generosity makes me ashamed of myself, and it should, to be honest. I want the credit so badly that it makes me tight-fisted if I think that I won't be given the credit I think I deserve. So why am I giving then? I'm often giving to gain the glory for myself. God is still working on me, though, helping me to see my own greed and my own pride and to help me to put it to death every day. And it's a hard battle. But, oh, ladies, to have a right perspective on wealth and material things, to honor God in our living and giving, to know that we are pleasing Him and how we steward what He has given, it's worth the battle against our own sinful flesh, isn't it? Spend some time in prayer today, reread this section, and ask God to correct any sinful tendencies regarding giving in your heart. We're in this together, ladies. This section in Scripture is a toe-stomper, but know that we're all getting our toes stomped on together, and it's all part of the sanctification process that God is working in our lives. Hold fast, ladies, to Him, and ask Him to help you to cling only to Him. Ladies, you'll find the notes for this study under the Bible Studies tab of the website, naomistable.com, day 13, Giving to God's Glory. 